Hi everyone, I'm Luke Marzano and you're listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. This is a weekly discussion series with ministry leaders whose stories offer valuable advice and guidance. We engage in vital dialogue to encourage Christian leaders who might be battling burnout, navigating conflict, or struggling to find balance. Our mission is to ignite passion, create community, and inspire new ministry, one conversation at a time. Today, pastor and author Bob Faby challenges us to evaluate how we portray Jesus. Is our portrayal based off of the culture around us or the Bible? Sometimes we get so focused on being right, we forget to be beautiful and love others. Thanks everyone for listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. I'm Luke Marzano, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Bob Faby. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Luke. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let us know a little bit about yourself, uh, your history, what brings you to where you are today. So, um, well, the reason I'm here today probably primarily is because I wrote a book. Uh, it's called Not My Jesus, and people ask me a lot, you know, what what caused you to write the book? And uh, it's basically kind of a, a, a reflection of having been in ministry for about 20 years and watching people make Jesus in their own image. Um, and my, you know, my background uh, is in, um, I, I came to uh, kind of a fuller faith in college with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ now called Crew. And, um, and then, you know, finished up my, my undergrad, uh, in history, studied, um, kind of Middle Eastern history, Islam for about two and a half years. Yeah. And then, um, got my, uh, master's of divinity and jumped into, uh, church work. And so been doing that for a while. And, um, I guess I suppose in that way, <laughs> that's what's, that's, what's led me here. So you've seen a lot, basically. <laughs> There's, I, I have seen a lot. Yeah. I think everybody, anybody who's been in ministry for a while has, has probably seen quite a few things. Uh, the variety of things that I've done in ministry from church planting to youth work and young adult and associate work and, and now being a, uh, an ordained priest, um, you know, I've, I, I have seen a few things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I got to ask this before we dive in further, but... Sure. You're a pastor who practices Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. Yeah. So can, can you elaborate more on what's <laughs> on that? <laughs> sure. Well, some pastors like to go for runs and some pastors like to meditate and some pastors like to, I don't know, do other things. Uh, jiu-jitsu is the thing that I like to do in order to keep me sane. Um, <laughs> and so uh, people kind of raise an eyebrow about that. And can Christians choke people? And I'm like, yeah, watch. <laughs> Here, I'll show you how to do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I practiced jujitsu for the last uh, three or four years. Um, I've done it off and on before that uh, for some time in Montana and, and uh, did some judo and some taekwondo. So I've, I've always been active in um, some form of combat uh, sports and enjoy it, um, especially when somebody criticizes a sermon. I mean, that's the best. <laughs> Nice nice backup there. Yeah. (laughs) Did you, sorry, what? Um, No, it's more, honestly, it has more to do with um, therapy, uh, therapeutic nature. So I, I feel like a different person when I'm done training and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think people who go for runs talk about that kind of thing. Um, Just gives you an opportunity to do something physical and, and uh, think about other things. Uh, So it's an important part, I think, mm-hmm. for a pastor to have some balance in their lives. And it also gives me an opportunity to be around people who aren't um, necessarily Christian and um, and to just listen to them and hear what they, yeah, what their hopes and dreams and worries and fears and what their lives are like. I, I think um, too many times uh, Christian leaders are in bubbles 
and uh, and we get we get wiped out pretty quick by the bubble. So getting outside of that, doing something that's a little bit different, maybe outside of the box, uh, that brings us joy, I think is a really critical piece. So yeah, jujitsu's mind. <laughs> Amen. And to the listeners, uh, we constantly talk about self care. Uh, I definitely, this is the first jujitsu has been brought up for the idea of self care, and yeah. but, but I love that idea um, yeah. just on multiple levels. Um, they're actually doing a lot of studies on how jujitsu is helping people with post-traumatic stress disorder. So, so a number of uh, combat veterans, police departments, uh, other things have, have been taking part in studies uh, where uh, they're finding that uh, jujitsu jiu in particular is, is beneficial for people uh, who, who have those uh, conditions. And so there really is some kind of strange therapeutic thing about, about, <laughs> about choking and being choked. I, I can't really figure that out. Yet. That's a sermon title right there. I no, like I'm that. I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't actually have a segue into this question, but I'll just ask it. Um, what brought you to the idea of dignity and our place as Christians within the culture? Yeah, um, man, I, I think a, a, a few things. Primarily the fact that I have watched um, Christians engage in culture in a way that they are simply voicing the culture, or at the very least, they're using the tools of the culture to voice things. And and so I've watched Christians basically get completely off task as they've um, joined in whatever the cultural debate of the day is. So one of the premises in the book um, is that as we've made Jesus in our own image, we've we've actually flipped the script. So um, my my argument is that Jesus is a first century Messiah, and it's based on messianic, you know, first century Jewish messianic expectation. And as as part of that role, he's the judge. Uh, he's the one who's going to bring about the. Um, the, you know, the rule of God in the world, and, and he's going to reestablish Israel, and he's, he's bringing that level of, um, yeah, I mean, he's messiahship. And so what's happened is, is that he gave us um, a sacred role and a mandate to play, which was love me with all you got, love your neighbor as yourself, and love your enemy. And what we've done is we've said, hey, listen, I think I'd like to be the judge, Jesus, you can do the loving. And we really have, I mean, if you, if you kind of watch how Christians behave across the board, I mean, even as we, as we record this, I mean, Kanye dropped an album that was a, a gospel album and, uh, and Christian Christians are losing their mind as if, as if somehow Kanye can't represent, um, how he thinks and believes about his faith. Um, and so, so it's, it's just a really interesting thing where Christians have taken up the mantle of judge. And in doing so, um, I think they've lost key parts of the fact that God has made us in his image to represent him to the world. And therefore, we've lost our own dignity as Christians, and we are certainly not validating the dignity in those around us. Was there a particular moment in, in all the years that you've been through the ministry that kind of clicked for you regarding Christians in the culture? Like, was there a moment that made you say, I, I have to write a book on this? Like, was there a moment that you found yourself going, okay, enough's enough. Let's, let's, let's call it as it is. <laughs> yeah. 
every sermon I ever preach. <laughs> so, so, you know, obviously um, with the book, I, you know, I start out with Talladega Nights and, and um, the, the prayer of uh, uh, at the table with Ricky Bobby and, and that kind of thing and people talking about who Jesus is to them. And immediately I, I was, I was struck by that. And so I, I use that in a sermon and I've had people tell me, uh, I need to write a book. I need to write a book. And, and frankly, you know that, okay, that's fine. And, um, I'm really grateful for that, but it's really about, um, trying to be obedient to Christ. And so mm-hmm. I, um, I actually tried not to write the book because, um, it's just a lot of work. Um, but, <laughs> but part of it is, uh, especially as the, um, uh, presidential debates, uh, came out and I, and I watched, you, you know, culture basically split in half. Um, you, you know, I started saying, Hey, wait a minute, we're, we're not behaving in the way that, that God would want us to behave. And so I don't know that I can say there was one moment, but, but a series of, of, of painful realizations, you know, whether it's, um, uh, Christian brothers and sisters on Facebook or other, other places, just, railing against other people and calling them names and and it's just completely out of bounds for somebody who um is to represent what it means to be the the image of god in this world and and so that you know it it just i think you know you kind of get your heart broken enough and then Mm -hmm. and then you think okay i need to i need to try to say something if anything about this and through the process of, um, we kind of talked before starting this podcast about wearing multiple hats, yeah. uh, wearing multiple hats as a pastor and author, yeah. uh, what's been your biggest kind of lesson or takeaway, uh, between those kind of two worlds? Um, I don't, well, I don't know that they're always mutually exclusive. First of all, um, mm-hmm. I think that pastors write sermons and things all the time. Obviously a book is a little bit different media, but I, I think, I think one of the things that I took away is that in my own life, and then I've, I've observed in maybe the life of the church, is that we've been way too worried about being right and not worried about being beautiful. And and that has caused massive problems um, in how we relate to the world. And so as I have believed in Christ, I, I've considered um, what it means to to kind of walk with him in that way. So not just holding to my theological uh, suppositions or, or things like that, but to say, okay, what does it look like for me to practice beauty? Um, and that's been a very different question uh, that I've been really grateful for. So actually I'm going to jump into the book real quick. I had, let's where um, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the difficulties that you found when you were piecing together your, the different interpretations that the world has portrayed Jesus? So (laughs) probably the the biggest one is that I haven't captured them all. Um, (laughs) I I tried to, I tried to just kind of go with the lowest hanging fruit around, around how I've seen people um, make Christ in their own image or make something of Jesus that he simply isn't. And so, you know, things like, um, uh, the show Ancient Aliens um, made it fairly easy because 
if you can't explain something, you just blame it on aliens. And so Jesus was clearly an, an alien, you know, <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. And when I, so I taught medieval history for, for a couple of years and um, one of my students uh, was, was very keen on ancient aliens. And so if there was a mystery in the medieval period, it was always the aliens who did it. <laughs> so, well, that's, that's special. But I, I think on a, you know, culturally the Nordic Jesus, you know, this idea of this, white, um, blonde haired, blue eyed, uh, Jesus really has been part of what I've experienced, especially kind of in the, in the Northern, uh, U S, um, where a lot of Scandinavian people, uh, have brought their culture and, and obviously their DNA to, to, to their faith. And so a lot, I've seen a lot of that, you know, where, mm-hmm. where people have, have done that, but then also, um, I, I've been to Africa uh, on a number of occasions, and the Holy Family is black. And it struck me that at those depictions of Jesus and the Holy Family as black, I thought, well, we're not <laughs> we're not the only ones. You know, other cultures mm-hmm. aren't immune to this thing, um, and so there's something else happening. And that's that was kind of where I pressed in. And I know in your book as well, you started off where uh, you started loving Jesus out of fear of hell. Yeah, uh, sure. televangelist. Uh, but since then, where have you found that that your descriptor of Jesus has changed for you? So recently, when I when I spoke, one of the questions I asked people was, "How did you think about Jesus when you first came to faith? Uh, when was that, and what what did that look like?" And and for many people, um, they came to faith out of uh, literally out of fear of going to hell. Well, I, I really don't want to die and go to hell. That would be bad. So I better take this Jesus guy into my heart, whatever that actually means. Mm-hmm. And so, so that was a common experience for, for, for not just, um, well, for me, but also for others around me. And then I realized that people thought about Jesus, uh, in particular ways. And maybe if they were a child, they were thinking, well, he was, he was a loving father and, and, or, or maybe they, he was a father they didn't have, or, you know, any, any number of, of ways of viewing him. But then as people um, talked about their experiences, they realized how things have changed. And so they've watched how maybe they felt like there was some injustice uh, in their relationship with Jesus. So, you know, hey, this doesn't feel fair or why didn't you do this here and then? And so I I liken it to uh, to marriage where I knew my wife a certain way. And I knew her enough that I didn't want to be without her for the rest of my life when I married her. But I know her completely differently now. I know her, you know, 24 years of marriage down the road and two kids and ups and downs and all of those mm-hmm. things. And so I think a bit about it like um, not just a content, but a quality of difference that can only be experienced through um, walking with someone for um maybe a long time through a lot of different things. So I, how do I picture him today? Um, you know, more uh, gracious and more merciful and more loving than I could have dreamt. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And kind of going off that with um, like that involves engaging in our community, in our culture, Mm. Uh, and if Christians begin to engage in culture and in their communities as a reflection of Jesus, uh, what, what, what would happen? 
if we actually did what we said we believed. You know? <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I think we do it. Um, well, I, I think there's two, it's twofold, right? I, I think Christians aren't good at receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Mm. I, I believe that most Christians um, still believe they have to earn the love that God has for them. And so based on that, their behavior changes. Um, and so primarily my, my thought is that we have to be really clear about what the gospel is and, and that it is that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but that, that one, we then are caught up in the purposes of God. And two, he grants us his Holy Spirit by which we are then to represent him in the world and not represent us. And, and so it's a deep, deep challenge to go from, and forgive me for mixing metaphors all the time, but I, the one that sits with me um, kind of the most directly right now is from the, the idea that we have lived as orphans and learned what that has meant for quite some time. And then we are adopted into a base, a, you know, a royal family, not just a family, but a royal family. And we, we have to learn what it means to be loved like that. And that's deeply challenging. It's, it's not as if we just turn, you know, flip the switch and say, oh, no problem. But we, we have to learn, wait, I, um, I don't have to worry about these things. And, and I, can actually, um, I can actually trust that I, I have food on the table or, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the different things that, that maybe orphans have experienced that, that they're now struggling with in terms of having this, uh, this security that they have. So that's the primary task, but then secondary, you know, is what flows out of that is our, our cultural engagement. And so instead of looking at people like an enemy and creating them, um, you know, making them the other quote unquote, you know, making objects out of them and, and, and calling them names, um, maybe we could look at them like, um, they're people without a home and, and what would it look like if I loved them and in a way that I would want to be loved myself? Uh, what it would what would it look like if if we decided that the the culture wasn't actually uh, an enemy that we had to fight, but an opportunity where um, and I and I borrowed from uh, Frederica Matthews Green um, in the book about how how you know if the culture's like weather and people are quote unquote under the weather, well then we're the ones to bring them shade or a drink or somehow comfort them in yeah. what they're experiencing. I just keep thinking with that, like that takes time and thought out processes. And as humans, I think we, as, as human Christians, we want to instinctively respond immediately. And that's usually <laughs> not the nicest response or not the most Christ centered response. Yeah, um, it, can, it can definitely be knee jerk reactions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, that's a great challenge to continue uh, for all the ministry leaders, uh, anyone walking in the faith in the church to um, think of how are we in the culture and how we can love on the co- culture and accurately represent Christ. Uh, right. Continue to meditate on it. Yeah. And what if, what if we asked the question, instead of trying to be right, what if we were trying to be beautiful? Mm. I mean, what would that look like? Right. I mean, I, I'm all for that. I, 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 I you know, I, so theologically speaking, you know, we Christians have that all, you know, supposedly nailed down, 
and, mm-hmm. and feel really good about it and love to argue about it. And, and so it's like, okay, well, if you've, if you've got that part down, well now let's, let's work on the beauty piece here. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what would it look like? You know, so it's, it's, you know, the beauty will save the world and, and that the beauty is, is primarily located in Jesus Christ. Um, how can we do that better? That's such a good reminder. Uh, and easy to forget at the same time, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and through through all of that, through your ministry, uh, through being a published author, um, what have you found? Um, because I know even researching what you talk about is not the easiest task and uh, draining. But how have you found the best way that you've avoided burnout within the ministry and all of this so far? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know what you mean by burnout. Um, it, it, it's a, it means different things to different mm-hmm. people. But yeah. what, I, what I see... What I see um, pastors engaging in, um, and please let me let me say this: I, I believe that almost every pastor I've ever met is right-hearted and loves the Lord, and loves people, and loves their family, and and so there's no lack of that uh, in them. Um, and I also believe that um, we're a fearful bunch, um, and that we allow fear to kind of be the maybe the locus of a lot of our decision-making. So you'll see pastors who, um, man, I I mean, I'm just going to say it. Maybe they're overweight Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're, they're eating uh, inappropriate amounts or, or inappropriate foods because they're massaging something else. Or maybe they're workaholics and people celebrate the fact that, Oh, well, our pastor works X number of hours a week as if, as if that's something to be celebrated, um, which, which frankly, really, I mean, it really gets under my skin because I think um, you're asking your pastor to be Jesus and that's not okay because you have a Messiah and it's not them. So, so stop that. Um, and I, and I think you'll, you'll see pastors who, um, yeah, who, who, who um, maybe are carrying around some um, depression and, and some other issues. Uh, and I've I've written about that elsewhere, um, but where where this group of people, you know, on one hand some people elevate, and on the other hand some people throw, you know, tomatoes at, and and you haven't done what I expected you to do, therefore, you know, and so so to be to be a pastor is to be caught in 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 between things, um, and so knowing who you are in Christ is the primary role that pastors need to really grip and to hold on tightly to because we don't always feel like it. We don't always think like it. We don't always act like it. And I get it. We're just like everybody else. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's an incredible challenge to, to believe what God has to say is true about us too. So the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ that we talk about or that we would want for those who follow us in terms of, of our church lives. Um, I would, I would say, is for pastors too. And, and, and listening to that voice doesn't mean that you are less than, it doesn't mean that you're not doing your job. And it, and it certainly doesn't mean that, that there's some kind of weirdness or weakness in you. And so that, that's really the first thing I, I think. And, and I wish that pastors could hear that more often and rest in Christ that way. Um, but then too, I think, um, there has to be healthy boundaries around what it means 
to be a pastor for many pastors. You know, maybe they they live in the parsonage or something else, and so they're they're wed to the church in a way that um, they feel as if they cannot be um, um, separated. You know. And uh, I think you mentioned Luke. You were a pastor's kid. Um, you might have yes. experienced that. I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and uh, my kids are pastor's kids. I pray for them all the time. <laughs> like you know, um, and 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 so you know, it's like there has to be healthy boundaries where we say, no, I'm I'm with my family. No, I am. These are my days off, and I actually take them. Um, and I and I know all the things that are. You know, I, hey, you get calls from hospitals, you get, you know, there's all this stuff. But I think it's easy for some to slip into kind of the Messiah complex um, mm-hmm. and think that the church can't operate without them. And I think that if we have a church like that, then we're not leading effectively. So um, it's important for us to have healthy boundaries around those things. Does that, make, does that make sense? Luke? Oh, absolutely. Especially... Um going off of being a pastor's kid, I think one of the biggest impacts for me uh, seeing my dad in the pastoral role, but also the father role was seeing him say no to specific things and choose family over it at times. I remember being a kid and just that blowing me away. Um, And I think that even drew me closer one to him as a father, but to, to, to God as the father. Yeah. And just being able to see that balance, uh, which was good for everyone. Yeah. And uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, but um, not everyone has seen your cover yet or read the book, uh, but I'm sure. So in it, you uh, you come up with what Jesus would tweet, uh, yeah. which are all uh, butterflies and rainbows, right. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, what types of reactions have you received um, through that? I'm sure you've gotten mixed reactions on it, yeah. but also uh, from that coming through on the other side, how have you found yourself working through that, but also recharging from it. Yeah. Um, sure. So what I did, so you mentioned the cover first, I'll, I'll talk about that and then kind of get into the tweets, the cover, um, because we're not video, I'll explain it. Um, it has, it has Jesus, um, holding, uh, an iPhone or a cell phone, having taken a selfie. Um, and, uh, he has Starbucks and, uh, uh, a cigarette in his mouth, um, and hipster glasses and a John three sixteen shirt. And, and really it's just trying to be a caricature of the ways in which Jesus is made into other people's image. So when people think about Jesus, this is how I think about it. And I was actually doing a, I did an interview on a, it was live radio, which, um, I felt a little bit sheepish about, um, because the guy asked me a question. He said, you know, um, and, and frankly, I think it was somewhere like Atlanta. So it was kind of Bible beltish. And, and he said, um, so Bob, you know, tell me about the cover of your book. You know, you're, you're, you got Jesus doing all this. And then he said, most troubling, I think is that, is that Jesus has a cigarette. And, and I said, you know what I find interesting? I said, people tell me they have a problem with Jesus smoking a cigarette, but they don't have a problem with the fact that I gave him white skin and blue eyes. And I said, I think that's a bigger problem. And then there was, there was like radio silence and I was like, oh, that's not good. And he's like, oh, yeah, good point. You know, and then we kind of moved on quickly and I was like, I shouldn't have said that. Don't do that. You know, you're, that's not what you want on radio. Um, so, but, but, but that is what people miss because a lot of people who read the book are white and they have blue eyes or, or at least fair skin. And what's been interesting is as I've shared the cover 
share the book with people of color, that's one of the first things they say. <laughs> they go, man, Jesus ain't white. <laughs> so why is Jesus white? You know, and I'm like, right. I did that. That is the point, you know. And right. so we we betray our biases um, with those things. And and so part of the Twitter thing was to say, I, I went through the Gospel of Matthew, and and I, I that was kind of the central piece for the book itself because it's the most Jewish of the texts. And I wanted to keep Jesus in his Jewish context as much as I was able. And I pulled out all the names that Jesus called people. And most people don't put that part of who Jesus is into their view of him. So they don't believe that he would ever be mean or that he would ever say hurtful things. And yet he did, and he was. And and so their their view of him is skewed and and without that part of it, it's it's incorrect, frankly. And so what I did was I said, okay, these are some really hard things to say to people. Um, what's an easy way to swallow this pill, or at least a uh, a wink at the culture? And so I turned him, I gave him a Twitter account, you know, and I said, okay, here's maybe what some of these tweets would sound like, um, and uh, and 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 that's that's kind of where it went and and the idea was that this is going to be super sarcastic uh, but it'll it's an important pill that you have to swallow so 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 maybe having a twitter account puts a little uh makes it a little easier to take what i love you included um scripture to follow it too uh, right. do you mind if i read one of the no, tweets please, feel free yeah. <laughs> uh, there's one it's, it says if you turn your back on me i'll turn my back on you hashtag you can't have it both ways and right. then you quote Matthew 10, 32 through 33. And um, I, I just love that idea of when people read things that immediately go, oh, that sounds sassy. Or that sounds, oh, that can't be hurt someone's feelings. They go, oh, that's not my Jesus. And that plays completely into everything you've been talking about is who, who is Jesus? And how do we rely on what the Bible describes of him as opposed to what we've grown accustomed to? Through our, whether it's our culture or where we live, uh, but I thought I, the, the tweets had me cracking up. Oh, I'm glad you thought they were. I thought they were funny, but not everybody shares my sense I, of humor. I, I bet. <laughs> Especially when I'm when I'm talking about dogs and cats. So, you know, but I yeah, I honestly, you know, he was murdered because he made people angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get the theological thing and, and people want to run to that right away in some kind of weird Gnostic uh, efforts. But but the reality is, is that the Pharisees had certain expectations of what Messiah would be like, and he didn't meet up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, he angered them and he did the same thing with, you know, the, so the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Romans. Um, he, he pushed everybody's buttons. And it wasn't because he was, you know, the little baby Jesus in the manger. It was because he was Messiah and he was rescuing humanity. He wasn't about um, just doing something kind of small on a local level. He he was actually um, at work defeating hell, sin, and death. And so, you know, in light of that, he's perfectly free to judge, um, which which he did. Wow. Yeah. And that goes full circle to what you talked about at the beginning is we leave him to judge. He's, don't. <laughs> he's the judge. He, I think he's going to be better at it. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm like, well, you, you probably know my heart. And I think the scriptures talk about knowing my thoughts before I speak them. I mean, you, 
you've got this, you know, and, and I can trust you. And, and, and if that's the case, then, then show me how to love people better. Cause I'm not, I'm not very good at that. And I want to get better at that because I don't want to misrepresent you. And getting love at the forefront of the mind. Uh, it's a, it's a daily eight hour second, every second task to continually remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's why I put, um, so many love quotes at the back of the book, uh, was, was that, you know, here's a place where people, and not, not kind of the cheeky romantic love, um, but, but the kind that's transformational, um, where we have to get good at receiving that so that we can give it away in a way that we've received it. And, and if we're not good at it, then it's going to be pretty tough to share with somebody who we find to be unlovely. And before our conclusion, uh, we really like to ask if there are any books um, that you'd like to recommend to our listeners, uh, whether it's for further discussion or growth or what, what kind of is really hitting you right now. Oh, man. Um, I've read both of Donna Hicks' books on dignity. Um, so she wrote a book on, uh, I think it was just called Dignity and the role that it plays in um, conflict resolution super uh great book and then and then dignity uh lead i think is the name of the second book and both those books are so important because really she's not saying it in the way that i would say it but she's talking about the inherent value of every human being and i believe in that because i believe that people were made in god's image and so there's nobody there is no one despite their behavior or their physical makeup or any of those things, who is not worthy of dignity. And that really is, um, frankly, that's the direction I think I'm, I'm going to be going as, um, you know, in, in some of my writing and, and, and a lot of my speaking has been around that, um, around that topic. And so um, she's, she's been the one that I've been reading um, as of, as of late uh, in that direction. In conclusion, uh, is there anything you'd like to share uh, with the ministry leaders listening out there? Yeah, you guys are loved. I mean, you, you, you are loved, and you are cherished, and you are precious, and you, God, God trusts you. He doesn't just love you; He trusts you with His Holy Spirit. And if if there is a way that you can learn to reside in that place more fully, more, uh, and, and kind of more fully present to that. Um, the people who you are leading will be blessed. Um, but it's for you first. Um, it, it, it's far too often that, that our leaders assume something for the people underneath them, but not for themselves. Uh, and it, and it has to come from us first. So I, I would say, that thing, like you are just beyond precious. And, and I, I hope and pray that you can bask in that. Father God, I pray that those listening can fully accept the love of Christ so that they overflow and love the community around them. Remind us to not get caught up so much in the debate that we forget Christ has already won. And give us a peace that only you can give to show dignity and your love in all aspects of our ministry. Amen. I'll talk to you next week.